four seconds. Four seconds is what it takes for somebody to hit the water after they've jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge. Four seconds. That's the amount of time that people have alive. Nearly 100% of the time that take that leap. In this case, those four seconds didn't end a life, but changed a life. Because those four seconds were different, uh, somehow, miraculously. On a September day in 2000, 19 years ago, Kevin Hines thought no one cared. For months, he had suffered from severe mental illness and depression. Voices in his head had told him, this is the only option, Kevin. You can't trust anybody. You have to kill yourself. Today is the day you die. On his journey to the bridge, Kevin mentally pleaded with strangers to ask him, are you okay, to stop him. But no one did. Yet through a series of miracles, Kevin survived. He was rescued. Recovery was not easy. He still struggles with his mental disease every day. But this guy is a fighter. This is a show today made for you or perhaps somebody that you know because this is a guy who gave up and then in four seconds said wait i've made a mistake and every day he shares his story in the hopes that his message of hope will help others seek the help they need tell you about a movie called unplanned uh i don't know if you've heard but uh mpaa has decided to slap an r rating on it and it is really um it's it's crazy to do this this is so far away from an r rating the reason why it has an r rating is because there is a cgi scene that lasts maybe 30 seconds tops and it is of a of a of a, of a baby cgi uh, on an ultrasound fighting its, its abortion. It's crazy. It's a true story about Abby Johnson and Planned Parenthood. This, I think, is a game-changing movie. Uh, so much so, I have volunteered my time to be able to tell this story and to get people to come. So please, go to unplannedfilm.com. That's unplannedfilm.com. It will change you. traveling 75 miles an hour you're dropping 25 stories it's said that hitting the water at that speed from the golden gate bridge is like slamming into concrete i want to i want to start at what you thought was the ending then i want to go back and look what brought you there and what you've learned since the moment my hands left the rail. I, I was on no cord to be talked back. You know, it was, it was free fall. And it was the most terrifying 
petrifying feeling I've ever had until today. The, the, the wind is coming at you so fast with, with the fog. It, it was like, um, it felt like needles hitting my skin. Mm. <clears throat> and the impact was so uh, harsh. I immediately knew something had exploded inside of me. And that would have been my T12, L1, and L2 that just popped. Uh, and for, for a moment before I went into shock, it was excruciating, physically painful. Uh, and, 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 and that pain was uh, completely overwhelming. And then a vacuum, because you're going so fast, just sucks you under 70 feet into, into the depth of, of the water. And you don't know which way is up or down. But then I opened my eyes thinking, I'm alive and I'm drowning. And my first thought, Glenn, was I don't want to drown. Why'd you jump into a giant body of water, <laughs> you know? And, and, and trying to right myself and find a way to the surface in the murky water was uh, beyond comprehension. I didn't know what to do. But you eventually just naturally bob up? No, no, I couldn't feel my legs. Now, I don't know if they were immobile or if I just could not feel them, but I couldn't feel them, and I thought I wasn't moving them. But I swam as fast as my arms would take me to what I believed to be the surface. After I figured out I was going down initially, because my ears began to ring and my eyes began to bulge, I knew... If I, I knew I was going down. I learned that by, you know, watching right. enough Shark Tank, <laughs> yeah. Shark Week. And so, yeah. so I shot for the surface uh, and I'm swimming as fast as my arms will take me, uh, not feeling my legs. And I get to like this lit circle of water above me and I think, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die today. And if I die today, no one is ever going to know that I didn't want to because it's when my hands left that rail, it was an instantaneous regret for my actions, which is what 19 of the 39 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors have recounted aloud, that they had an instant regret from their actions. And I believe, Glenn, that that's because our thoughts are separate from our actions. But just because we think something doesn't mean we have to do something. The analogy I use when I go and speak to high school kids is I say, in front of thousands of kids, I say, if your mom and dad's thoughts always became their actions, how many of them would be in jail right now for road rage? <laughs> and all like thousands of kids raise their hands. You know, um, so if we can recognize in suicidal crisis that our thoughts don't have to define, own, or rule our actions, I believe we can always stay. All right. We're going to come back to how you were rescued. Um, but now come with me just to the few minutes before you jumped mm. um, in reading your book and, and having personal experience and familial experience with, with suicide. Um, I so related and people don't understand when, if you've ever contemplated suicide, it, 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 you you read your book and you're like, that's me. I know that. I know that moment. And others who just look at it as, well, it's some sort of depression. Hey, buck up, kid. We all have pro that kind of stuff. They don't understand how 
there is a you in there still fighting just a little bit still fighting wanting someone to reach out and say stop stop don't do it tell me about just tell me about the morning that morning so the morning of uh you know uh uh well first of all i hadn't slept i think 14 days but about two hours so that causes psychosis all by itself. Mm-hmm. I get to the morning of, I'm feeling like bugs are crawling up and down my skin. I, I, I have bipolar disorder. It's very real. I have a neurochemical disease in my brain, misaligned chemicals. And, 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 and that morning, I, I had written the note. I had put the note in my notebook in the notebook at my shoulder bag by the door. And at six in the morning, I entered my father, Patrick's room. He was sound asleep wearing a CPAP machine. Mm. You know, sounding like Darth Vader snoring. <laughs> and, and I startle him awake. And he says immediately, Kevin, what's wrong? We, we've, been having a, we've been having a trying time. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what's wrong? And I said, nothing, Dad. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And in my mind, it was for the very last time. And he said, well, Kevin, I love you too. But it is six in the morning. And I don't have to be at work until nine, go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And he put his mask back on and he fell as soundly asleep as quickly as he had awoken. He had no idea. I walked around the other side of the bed, sat on the carpeted floor, and I rocked my body back and forth in tears, begging myself to tell the one man who loves me the most in the world the truth. While the voices in my head, the auditory hallucinations caused by that disease, I call it brain pain, you know? We call it a mental illness, but it's really brain pain. Mm Mm-hmm. Your brain can get disease just like any other organ in the body. I just rocked back and forth, begging myself to tell him. And then the voice in my head said, Kevin, you have to die today. You have no choice. It's inevitable. And that was a voice I heard for so long. That, that inner, that, that, and people don't understand what it is. If you've never had a hallucination, if you've never heard a voice other than your conscience in your head that doesn't sound like anybody you know or love, you can't comprehend unless you put on earphones like, like they're doing now to study people with, live with schizophrenia and, and, and my type of bipolar disorder. They're studying how and what it's like to listen to voices other than the voices you know in your head telling you things you should do that you don't want to do. So who did you... Who, how did you process hearing that voice? Who was that voice? What was it? Oh, I had heard that voice first in fourth grade, but never told anybody. And in fourth grade, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, a voice like yours. It was like a, a hateful, spiteful voice that I couldn't quite understand. I just knew it didn't like me, you know? I knew in fourth grade that this, this thing was in me that didn't like me, that hated me. How did you process that? I didn't tell anybody. I, I just kept it inside. No, but I, how did you, what, what were you thinking that was? What, do you, what, what was as, that in well, a fourth well, grader? Well, as a fourth grader, first of all, I was viciously bullied in, in grade school because, and I'm going to be frank with you, Glenn, I, I didn't look like the other kids. I wasn't, I wasn't all Irish and I wasn't all Italian. I'm part black, I'm part Jamaican, I'm part Portuguese. And, and people, people took note of that and they made fun of me. The, the, the eighth graders would pull my ears like this and yell, whistle, little N-word whistle. 
Oh my God. Oh yeah. Uh, a few guys would hold me from behind under my arms and punch me in the gut so no one would see the bruises. I'd love to name them, but I'm not going to, you know, and, 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 and this was something that went on every day. And so there was definitely a, a, a great self-loathing that came from without. Mm-hmm. It came from outside of me. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that these guys hated me because of the tan color of my skin. Or they just hated me because I was different and I maybe acted different. I was kind of a, I was not a duck, you know, I was, I was loud and obnoxious. And maybe the word annoying came out a, a lot. But, but I was loud and obnoxious partly because of those voices in my head. And then, and then it would turn into this massive amount of bullying by not just my graders, but, but every grade above that who didn't like uh, me and what I looked like and that my family was adopted, that my brother was black and that, you know, my, my, it was a whole situation that I had to deal with for seven years. And in eighth grade, I said, no more. I said, I got to get the heck out of here. I should have gotten the heck out of this school a long time ago. And I went to an all black grade school for eighth grade. And it was the best decision I ever made because they accepted me on day one. Mm. day one and really Glenn nobody really knows that part of my story I don't talk about that very often you know it's not something that's very public um, Glenn they, they, they put me in a trash can upside down in banana peels when they wanted to I want to pursue this but why are you sharing it to me now I have no idea it popped into my head I think about it a lot they broke me Glenn every day and some of my family members didn't, didn't understand what was really going on. And I say it now, I think I say it now, Glenn, because I look at cyberbullying, which the, the crisis text line says is 60% more lethal than physical bullying. Because these kids see themselves online, they see this persona they've developed online, this, this social media, and they see that their network, the people on their feeds, to them, Glenn, that's the whole world. Yeah. And, and, and someone puts a, a message online or a picture online that makes you, or a video online that makes you look terrible or shames you in some way or even goes worse than that, uh, it goes further than that with what these kids are doing these days. They think the whole world sees that and they can't see past the fact that someday they're going to be 37 mm. with, with four successful businesses and a lovely wife and, and a and a great, a great network of family and friends. They can't see that, Glenn. They can't see that possibility. They're stuck in that tunnel. Everyone knows it's out. I have to die. And something happens in their brain, Glenn. Chemicals in their brain change based upon the amount of likes they receive or don't. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem we need to solve before it's too late. I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying this. I'm on social media all the time. I just started a YouTube channel, you know, but, but I almost some, I find myself wishing for a world where we look at each other, Glenn, someday and we go, you remember that thing? You remember that thing's called social media? Mm-hmm. It was so hilarious and so wonderful in some ways, but so detrimental in so many others. You remember that thing we used to mess around with that we don't anymore? I, I have a part of me a part of me that wishes for that world because at least then Glenn, we'd be sitting at the table having a conversation in person that would matter. Yeah. You know, at least then Glenn kids would have the conversations they need to have with their parents that they're not having because they're on their phones all night long and they're not sleeping. And then they're depressed in the morning and they're wondering why. 
So you're in eighth grade. You say, stop. You switch schools. Yeah. Does stop. But the voices don't stop. Well, it's, so, so, so they, they happened in fourth grade and fifth grade. And like, but then they went away. It was like, it was like I got out of that school. I got out of that situation. And I had people who accepted me for who I was. Mm-hmm. Not who wanted me to, be, me to be someone I wasn't. And that was magical, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I get into high school. Go to all boys Catholic high school where my father went, which I had. I I only applied to that school. It was my only option. If I didn't get it, I was going to be in big trouble, right. you know. And I and I and I'm looking at the at the at the wall with my dad's you know picture on it, and he's his picture in his uh, graduation picture is him looking sideways with his Ray Bans on. Somehow he snuck that <laughs> in the picture. It was fantastic. It was amazing. It's it's on there forever. And and I love that school, Archbishop Reardon High School, as a crusader and. Um, and I have great faith. I always have. I only lost my faith, Glenn, the day I was on that bridge, looking down, crying my tears to the waters below. But I found God on the way down, you know. But, but, but you know, back, back to the, the, the point at hand, high, high school wasn't easy either. I was 5'2", a buck and some change, the tiny guy with no, no friends. And I remember, I remember, I remember vividly walking into the cafeteria the first day of school, and you could you could literally see the division of race amongst the tables. It made me so sad. You on the right, and I'm just going to be very clear here. On the right, it's in the book, I think. On the right was the uh, Asian table, and it was mostly. It looked like you know you you could tell they were uh, Chinese. Korean individuals, and they made that clear. The Filipino table was very clear. The black table, the, the, what I call the misfit table, the white table, and then I don't remember what was on the left. But I walked up to every table, and every table dismissed me. Every table said, go sit to the next. Every single table, except the misfit table. The table of tech nerds and geeks and, and guys that didn't belong anywhere or so they felt. And I found myself there. And that was also magical. It was wonderful because I made some of the greatest friends I still have today who are trying to make films like me. So it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing I'm a, a lot of those misfit tables end up being the people that uh, are running the world. I don't know. I, I, I think I think they're all doing great things that are yeah. they're trying. You know what those misfit tables are filled with people of? They're filled with the people that are affecting social change. Yes, that's what they are. Yes, that's what they are. They change the world. They want to. They certainly want yeah. to, and they've always wanted to. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you you continue to speak about your father, who sounds wonderful, um, but he's not your your birth father. No. Um, your father and mother, um, you were actually taken from their home very early on. Yeah. Tell me that. Martino Ferales was half Mexican and half Italian. He was a round faced man from the picture. I, the one picture I have with the black beard and a big and lots of bushy hair. And, um, and he was, uh, a hippie through and through. In the seventies in San Francisco, post hippie era, kind of, you know, and and uh, and he was madly in love with Marcia Veronica Silvera Prasad, 
and uh, she was a whole bunch of wonderful things. But she was born in Jamaica, in James Bond Island, in St. Mary's Island. And they found themselves in San Francisco, and they found themselves in love, and they had two baby boys. Me, then named Giovanni Gabriel Prasad Ferales, and my brother, Jordash. I always wonder why I got four names, he got one. <laughs> it's not fair. But anyway, so um, they had two boys, uh, and... and and I've since learned that they weren't on drugs when they had us physically, right? But they were on drugs after they gave birth to us. So they gave birth to us very quickly, both one, one after the other. George Ash was my older brother. I got that wrong in the book, actually. Hmm. Uh, a bit of misinformation there. I misunderstood that. But uh, George Ash was my older brother, but only a little bit. They were busy, mom and dad, you know? And, uh, and um, we, we lived in, in squalor in the Tenderloin of San Francisco, and, 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 and they did a lot of drugs and they sold drugs. And, and I'm told my birth mother, uh, I'm told she was a prostitute. I don't know if that's accurate, but I've been told that many times by different people. Um, and I found some court documents that, that when you read a certain quote, it, it, it says the, when they came to take us, the police came to take us from our, our, our neglectful parents. Um, the boys lie there barely clothed in their own filth, screaming and crying not to be neglected. And, and, and when you go further, you see that there's drug paraphernalia, sharp metal objects on the bed that if we had touched could have harmed or killed us. So it's, it was a, a bad situation for two infants to be in. And they took us and they placed us in foster care and we bounced around from home to home. And I got emotional when you said about my mom and dad, because I, I love them dearly and I know they love me. I know they love me unconditionally. They fought to keep me in court, but they couldn't. Because of their sickness, their their disease, their substance use. You understand this. Mm-hmm. I know you do. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually kidnapped you. They did. They they they, they wanted you. Some back. weeks in, they wanted us back so bad that they came to uh, the foster care for a meeting. You know, a meeting, mm-hmm. and we were the the boys are we were playing, and they had a whole plan, and they took us, and we were on the run for weeks. With mom and dad, I'm sure there was an APB put out on them and they got us back and they were in big trouble for that. Um, but they really fought for a long time to, to get us back. They wanted and loved us unconditionally. I know that. I know that. I didn't know any of this growing up. At least I didn't remember it. So I thought my narrative in my head was that they didn't, we weren't taken from them, but that they gave us mm. away. So this thought in my head about being given away from, from, from the, from the, I hate to say this, but from the jump, I felt worthless. I've had a void in the pit of my stomach, in my chest, since I can remember, since I can comprehend what pain is, I've had it. I say, I say, and there's a, I say I was born in pain, like the character Deadpool, which I wear on my hat and my watch. And I wear it very purposely because that character was born in a great deal of pain, and I feel like I was too. And... All of my life, Glenn, the greatest achievement I ever would have wanted would be to walk up to Marcia, to envelop her in my arms, to tell her I love her once, to hear her say it back. And if if she never allowed me to be in her life as her son, I would have been fine with that. I just wanted that one hug and that one I love you. I wouldn't get that. She would die uh, I, I, can I get into this if you don't mind? I mean, I I would go to look. I would find out my I would find out my birth dad. I think was killed by police officers because he he assaulted them. So they had to do what they had to do. And I understand that. 
you know, he, he was uh, pushing drugs and all that. And that happened. But I learned that when I was 12, uh, it had happened when I was young. And then I go and look for my birth mom around 25, 27 years of age. And I learn, uh, from a great friend who looked into the matter, who found my birth parents information and found that I had a, 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 a grandma and grandpa in, in the, the Bay area. Hope was my grandmother's name, Glenn. Mm. My grandfather's name was Blankhorn Silvera and Sheikah lived with Hope and Blankhorn. And that was my half sister that I didn't know I had. And so I get this phone number and I call it. And this is what I say. Hi, Sheikah. My name is Kevin Hines. Uh, I think um, I'm your brother. My name used to be Giovanni Gabriel Prasad Felales. Please call me. Would you call that guy? Who's going to call that guy? She didn't call me for two years. She sees me on 2020 with John Stossel. She knew the story. She goes back to that number. She calls the number. I'm in my dad's house in Arbalo in San Francisco, the old, the old house. I get the call in the kitchen. I'm making a spam sandwich. And that was my, I, I met, nobody made spam like me. <laughs> nobody Not did. a lot of people even you know, make spam yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I was, but, uh, but I get this call and, and, and she says, hello, Kevin. I said, yes. She said, did your name used to be Giovanni? I said, who is this? Because nobody calls me that. And she said, this is Sheikah. I said, like Sheikah, my sister? And she said, how many Sheikahs do you know? I said, I have to see you right now. She said, hold on, I don't know you. I said, no, I have to see you right now. And if you don't ever want to see me again, I'm okay with that. I need, I need to see you. Please, I'm begging you. I go and I meet her. And she comes around the corner of a Starbucks on 14th and Low in San Francisco on West Portal Avenue. The spitting image of our mom. Mm. Uncanny resemblance of the one picture I've had my entire life, which I have framed. It's the only framed picture I have in my man cave, you, you know, and I, I have a, Mar I have a Marvel man. Cave. No, I know. It, it, uh, yeah. It, I can it, imagine. No, it's, it's all Marvel, posters. It's all, I got it's, all, it. it's all comics. I got know. it. One frame picture of my mom and, and she walks up to me, opens her arms envelops me in them, leans in and says, I love you. And it was like, it all happened. Mm. It, it happened. And it, uh, and we're thick as thieves today, you know? And, and then I find out I have a half-brother I didn't know I had. And I meet my cousins who look just like me. One's heavier, one's skinnier, one's got more muscles, you know? They're all bald, but not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the point of all this is that, you know, I lost my parents, my birth parents, but I, I gained a beautiful family. The Hines family, my mom and dad, Pat and Debbie Hines, took me in, made me their son. They made my brother their son from a different family and my sister their daughter from a different family. And, and we were a melting pot of a beautiful family that nobody understood because we didn't look alike. And we would walk in our restaurants and people would turn us away in California in the 1980s. You know? That's crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Only happened a couple of times, but the fact that it happened at all is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, they gave us life, future, hope. But even though they gave us all of that, the three of us would see the inside of psych wards three times each before we were 30. Because of our brains. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. They were both 
I mean, usually people who are self-medicating are, yeah. are doing it for a reason. They're doing it for a reason. They were in pain. They were hurting. And, and, and their, their socioeconomic status was, was poor and, and they, had, they had no feasible legal income. You're talking about birth parents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, 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 they had nothing and no one. They had themselves and they had us. And when they didn't have us, they felt like they didn't have anything. How old were you when you were adopted? I was adopted by the Heinz uh, when I was about four and a half. I think four and a half. Uh, let's see, it was March, March 17th, 1986. So yeah. And, and Libby Elizabeth was adopted at the same time I was. And then we took in Joseph. Uh, oh, what a pumpkin, this kid. He was special. He was special. Um, I can't get into too much about him because he doesn't like to be talked about, but... Okay. But he, uh, he's had the hardest life of anyone I've ever known. Let's leave it at that. Anyone I've ever known in my entire life. You're close to your dad, Heinz. Yeah, no, I am. My dad and I are thick as thieves. We're, we're, we're good buddies. So as you were approaching your time at the bridge. Yeah. What were you going through? I, I couldn't tell them because the, the voices just kept interrupting. You know, I'll tell my dad and then they'd be quiet, Kevin. You have to die, Kevin. Now, is it one voice, several voices? It, 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 I don't imagine an echo that gets as loud as you can possibly fathom. But inside. It's not coming from outside, mm-hmm. coming from inside. Imagine like feeling like I, like there's an entity inside you that hates you and is always trying to kill you. I mean, I think you, I think you know something about that. I do. I don't, I've never heard voices, but okay. I do know, I do know how unreasonable, how how absolute lies and and i would call it anti-logic yes becomes the most logical thing you can you're, you're you are you believe it you see yourself as the problem you start to believe that things are better without you yeah. you just want the pain to stop and uh You've tried everything you can to get away from it. What's the one thing all of us want to happen when we are in excruciating physical pain? We want it to stop. Right. And to go away. And you try anything. But but brain pain is 300,000 times worse than physical pain. Mm -hmm. You can heal physical pain over time. And And your brain, your mind knows your weaknesses. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can be in a battle with someone else. They don't know everything that you do mm. about you, mm. you know, and your brain plays on all of the weaknesses. It, it comes at you knowing you. Yeah. It's your inner critical voice. We all have one. Yeah. Right. So that inner critical voice needs to be retaught. It needs to be relearned. Right. So this is what I do again with high school ki- students and people all over the world is when I'm in front of an audience, we do it. We do a, an interactive session where I say, OK, I'm going to say my name. You say your name and repeat after me. 
We're going we're gonna to retrain the negative inner critical voice in our, in our minds, okay? So every time you say, I'm ugly, say, I'm beautiful. Every time you say, I'm fat, say, I'm, I'm gorgeous. Every time you say, I'm dumb, say, I'm smart. And we go back and forth, and you, you, you hear uh, somewhere between 1,000 and 15,000 people recounting this aloud. And they say, there, I say, my name, I say, Kevin, I love you. And you hear all these names. And then, I love you. Kevin, you're beautiful. Kevin, you're the best. Kevin, you're the greatest. And then I do one at the end where I, I, I you know, do, do a silly one. But it just, it gets them all laughing. It gets them standing up, moving in their seats, gets them excited. And then they go home and I get these letters from people that say, I retrain my negative inner critical voice. And every time I say something, I go back to the mirror and I say, no, I do love you. You are amazing and you are the greatest. And when that happens, when they retrain the inner critical voice over time, guess what? Recite. Repeat, believe. What has every faith ever been built on? Mm-hmm. Recite, repeat, believe. If we recite, if we repeat, if we believe, we can change it. On that note, Glenn, I want to bring some up to you that I think you're, that, that it would be close to your heart. Our U.S. military is dying 22 a day by suicide or more. Actually, it is more because a lot of it's under... It, it's It's so underreported because of the ones yeah. that are accidentally reported and all the other... It, it, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. There are two things I think can change this. In, in a very quick amount of time. And I mean this. This is, this, is, this is, I have been racking my brain as I travel the world to military bases, giving presentations 16, 18 weeks a year. I've been racking my brain, working for the DOD and on, on, their, on one of their boards and trying to solve the military crisis of suicide. And I believe I've come up with two strategies that could make a real difference. Number one is, is that... I believe the cadence is wrong. The cadence, the cadence that every military officer gives out when, when, the, when the military drill sergeant puts it out and, the, and they repeat it is not about how they survive themselves. It's about how they survive war. It's about how they fight to kill, fight to, to take over and, 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 and fight to win. And that's great. And that's important. That should be part of it. Another part of it should be about fighting to survive themselves, especially with the number that are dying every day. It should be, I will never die by my hands. I will fight the pain in spite of the pain to survive every day. Something along those lines, something that we can write, that a drill sergeant can bellow, that a military officer can repeat every single day. And if we recite, we repeat, we believe. Look at every faith in the world. So um, what you're talking about is uh, something called science of mind um, that I was raised on. And it's um, a philosophy from California, uh, I think around the 1940s. In the age of Norman Vincent Peale, you know, um, positive thinking and all this stuff. And um, it's rooted in the ideas of... Um, the power of the spoken word, the power of the power of creation, you know, as God spoke, it became in the beginning, there was the word and the word created. And so we have that creative power inside of us. And it is by the word, our words, our thoughts are all creative. So when you say, I will never, the, the, the mind doesn't recognize a negative thought. Mm. It is not a judge of positive negative. It just is. So when people say, if I asked you, jumping off the bridge, 
Was that the worst day of your life, the best day of your life, or both? Both. Right. The brain, most people would say, listen to your story and pick one of the two. Okay. You know what I mean? And they would say, oh, you struggled so hard and that was the worst. But when you really have perspective, you can back up and go, this was horrible in my life. But I had the power to take that and build this mm. out of it, you know? Right. So the brain doesn't, doesn't judge good or bad. It okay. just is. So whatever you're telling yourself, you say, I am fat, I am ugly. You are going to create fat and ugly. And for you the believe rest of it. You and believe you believe it. it. You know it. And people fail when they say, well, I don't believe that I'm, I'm happy, I'm yeah. successful. Right. And you won't for a long time. But you have to start replacing this negative yes. tape. It's, I firmly believe that the, the, the commandment of thou shall not take thy Lord thy God's name in vain. I firmly believe this. And I haven't heard any church ever say this. So this is the gospel according to Glenn. Thou shall not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. What is it? It's Yahweh. It's this. It's that. Well, no. In fact, it's so sacred that you're not supposed to say it. The Jewish people will not utter it. And Yahweh is not it. It, it is, if you were to pronounce it, it is more like, so it's the breath. First, there was the word, and it was spoken. And so it's a breath that comes out that creates. When he says, don't take my, my name in vain, if you read the Bible, it is always capitalized. I am. His name at Moses, who shall I say, sent me. I am that I am. I am happy. I'm coupling with the God force yeah. to create that. I am miserable. Be careful. Don't take I am in vain. Mm. Don't just let it spill out yeah. of your head. Yeah. Because it builds you. It creates you. And it can destroy you. And it can destroy you. It's what saved yeah. my life. Ah. It's what saved my life. I was going down the same exact path. And my father said, what are you saying? What do you feel I am? What's the word after that that you hear all the time? That you're saying all the time? Mm. And you don't even notice it. And he said to me, I want you to, I want you to go and, and keep a notepad at your table or at your bedside for the morning. Do it one day. Put a notepad and a pen. Keep it there. If you wake up after midnight or whenever you wake up, journal your thoughts. Don't write down what it is. Just put a slash down the center, positive, negative. Okay. I woke up at about 4.45, had to be at work at about 5.15. I, was hit my, I hit my first stoplight on the way. I had 37 negatives and not a single positive. Wow. That was my diagnosis, that I knew exactly what was happening. I had taken the things that I had felt, that others had said, the experiences of my life, and I just consumed them. And I made that me. It's not who I was. No. 
you are on absolutely the right track. Well, one of the other things that boggles my mind is that every military base in the world has about four or five things in common. A Taco Bell, hmm. a Starbucks, a McDonald's, a Subway, and, and, and maybe one other, you know. Uh, pizza. Pizza Hut. Pizza. There it is. Right. Five shops filled with inflammatory foods that cause depression. Mm. Filled with nothing but inflammatory foods that cause depression. And we're wondering why they're dying at 70, at 70 a day. If, if we actually did the work to remove those foods and, and put in the food, and, and there, there, are, there are some military bases now that are implementing really good healthy foods. Um, uh, I, I'm forgetting the doctor's, uh, the, um, the chef's name, but Chef Irwin. Now, Chef Irwin is implementing great, tasty, delicious, and healthy non-inflammatory foods in some military bases. But, they, but we need to find a way to do it into all if we are going to change their brains so they can change their minds about, about yeah. feeling so depressed so they can stop some of the suicides. I believe those two things, changing the cadence in some way and helping replace that negative inner critical thinking with positive positive force thinking and also reducing replacing inflammation. reducing inflammation in the brain that is causing depression look when inflammation it, is cancer pain yes brain pain yes you say all of it I, I let me let me tell you what you know about this story you know about my life but in the last hundred weeks i have been through the worst hell in my life worse than the golden gate bridge worse than what happened to me as a baby uh arguably i in the last hundred weeks um, I came down with secondary burns across my entire body from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. My medications I've been taking for 20 years poisoned my insides. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was, you could see through me, but you could also see blood and blisters just coming out. It was awful, Glenn. And it felt like needles and knives were coming out of my skin 24 hours a day for 30 of those 100 weeks, 24-7. And I wanted to die, Glenn. I wanted to buckle, I wanted to fold, I wanted to take my life. But I fought it, every day I fought it, every day. My wife saved me every single day. Margaret, I love you. God, I love that woman. And, and, uh, and two, two things happened. Um, they, 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 they reduced the, the meds, which, which I, I, I have to take a part of these meds because my brain is broken. And I take them with accuracy every day. But I had, they reduced them to zero in, in 24 hours. Oh, my. Which I've been taking them for 20 years. Mm. So I had a 24-hour hallucinatory-based withdrawal-based psychosis from the meds. Oh, my gosh. I saw the answers to the universe. I, Gandhi came in front of me. <laughs> so did the king of Bhutan. So did all of the Jesuses in every ethnicity. It went on for 24, no, I'm sorry, 73 hours of this. 48 hours of this, uh, 40, 48 hours of the, of the 73 hour psychosis was just the aurora borealis in my room, blackness and just lights more beautiful than the one I saw in Alaska mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And, th and then I, and then my wife took care of me and got, and got me to a safe place. And then I healed the burns with a very particular, uh, natural ointment, but also I healed the burns because because I ran into a, 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 what I call a new friend, Max Lugavere, who wrote the book Genius Foods about inflammation in the gut. And the gut, the foods I was eating was causing inflammation in my brain that was causing my skin to burn. And, and, and it was in mixed with the medication. They said I was on the tipping point of Stevens-Johnson's.
1% of people who get Stevens Johnson survive. I was already 1% of the Golden Gate Bridge. I wasn't going to do it twice. I fought through the pain, got what through is it, Stevens here we Johnson? are. Stevens Johnson's is when your skin boils out of you. Everything on the inside comes out. There's nothing you can do. You die in agonizing pain. There's no pain med that can stop the pain. You just, you just, you it just, everything on the inside comes out. I was on the tipping point, which is why they had to remove the meds in 24 hours. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting people with medications don't take them. No, no, this no. was a very particular medication. No, no, no. They had to find out which one of the five meds was, was causing this. I take it because, and, and, and we, we found, we, we righted the ship. Mm-hmm. The doctors got involved, and I'm lucky that I had that ability. So many do not. And that's another massive problem, which we are not going to solve in this conversation. <laughs> uh, nobody is. You know, but it was, it was terrifying and it was the most physical pain I've ever experienced in my life. And everyone kept asking me how I can keep going. And I just said, because I have to, I've gotten this far. If the Golden Gate Bridge wasn't going to kill me, this certainly isn't. And, and it, it was a nightmare for my family and my friends. Uh, but here we are and I get to sit next to you. What happened? We left the story yeah. with you under the water, yeah. swimming up towards the light. Yeah. And you said, oh, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Tell me what happened. Oh, you have to. This is this is the most beautiful part of it all. Um, I'm bobbing up and down in the water. I cannot stay afloat. As you are falling, you actually look up. Yeah. No, I threw my head back. And you said to God. I said, God, please save me. I don't want to die. So in the four seconds that I was falling, God, please save me. I don't want to die. I made a mistake. No, I said that in in the water. Pardon me. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. So you hit. Yeah, no, I know exactly what I said. So so as I'm falling, I said, what have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. Hit the water. Then you're coming big down. then Then I come up. I'm bobbing up and down in the water, and I cannot stay afloat. How cold is the water? What's the temperature? Oh, oh, uh, hypothermic water. If 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 you if you, if 60, you uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I know that if you're in that water past 15 minutes, you're going to die. My mother committed suicide in the water, and uh, yes. it was about eight minutes before you. you oh, eight minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And but it wasn't the same water. She was a little farther up north. Okay. So so, so this was in, in in under the Golden Gate Bridge. If you're if you're in there 15 minutes or more, you're not going to live. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at that time of the year, it was September 2000. And you know, uh, you can't move your legs. You can't feel your legs. You can't feel my legs. And and, and so, so I'm bobbing down, I'm swallowing salt water, I'm spitting it out. I'm coming up, going down, spitting out. But then I go down and I can't, I can't continue to come back up. Mm -hmm. I'm getting really tired, Mm -hmm. having a violent asthma attack. I've had exercise induced asthma since kindergarten. So I can't, I, I, I keep going down further and something happens. Something begins to circle beneath me, something large and very slimy and very, very alive. I remember thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. I didn't die off the Golden Gate Bridge and a shark is going to eat me. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so I took my right arm, which was wrenched, like, like moving it. 
past here was mm-hmm. really painful. And I'm just, I'm just going like this, like, no, don't eat me. Don't eat me. Please don't bite me. But it's not, you know, you, you, a shark's hide is tough and like mm-hmm. sandpaper. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that, that what I was hitting was very slippery. So it clearly wasn't a shark, but I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm freaking out and I'm punching this thing, but it won't go away. And it just circles faster and faster, faster and faster. And no longer am I waiting in the water to stay afloat. I'm lying atop on my back being kept afloat by this creature. Thinking to myself, this is one hell of a nice shark. And right then and there, I named him Herbert. Oh. And Herbert is right here. This is Herbert. And he was a sea lion. He was a sea lion. And I know he was a sea lion because, uh, because a man named Morgan McWard, who had seen me on TV, had wrote into ABC. And he wrote in, he said, Kevin, I'm so very glad you're alive. I was standing less than two feet away from you when you jumped. It's haunted me until this day because no one would tell me whether you lived or died. By the way, Kevin, there was no shark like you mentioned on the show, but there was a sea lion, and the people above looking down believed it to be keeping your body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind you. I call that a miracle. It's not the only miracle. Nope. There's, there's, there's about three things that came into play that absolutely were game changers. A woman driving by in a red car at the moment I jumped, she saw me go over the rail, and she called her friend in the Coast Guard. The reason the Coast Guard arrived to me before I would set in hypothermia and drown. Next to that, uh, in the hospital, as I was entering the emergency ward, one of the foremost back surgeons on the West Coast was leaving. He opts to stay, does a surgery on me. It's one of the first of its particular kind. I think it's the only of its particular kind. And I have a 23 staple scar across my left side. And I, I always say I know how many staples because I, I asked to pull them out myself as part of my healing. Oh, I, I just, it was, it was a thing I needed to do. Mm-hmm. They started pulling them out and I was like, no, 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 I got this. And oh God, that's not a good feeling. But anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I did that and, um, and, and so many things came into play. And frankly, there's another piece to this that, that I thought of recently that someone said to me, there was a woman before I jumped, there was a woman who approached me with these big sunglasses like you see on these fashionable ladies. A Russian accent? The way it's written, it, 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 it kind of it, sounds, it, like, it was, will it you... sounds like, will you take my picture? Yeah, okay. I'm not going to define what that was, but it was, yeah. will you take my picture? And so she approaches, blonde, beautiful lady in these sunglasses, and and you I would th- first think that she's oh. there to help you, because we have to paint the scene a bit. Yeah, of course. You get off the bus, you leave your house after rocking back and forth with your dad. You uh, on the floor, right? You get onto the bus. You're going to the to the to the bridge to die. You know yeah. what you're going to do. Yeah. And you're hoping that somebody will stop you. Oh, on that bus, I was crying like a baby. I had yelled on that bus, leave me alone. I don't want to die. God, please say, why did you? What, what, what? You were saying it out loud. I was saying it out loud. Out loud. I don't want to die. I'm a good person. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? Aloud. The only person to react aloud was this guy who goes like this. This person on the book, he goes, what the hell is wrong with that kid? To the guy next to him. I think the problem we have in this society, Glenn, is that we live in a society where uh, we, we have apathy for those who are in pain. That's his or her problem, but it ain't mine. I got stuff to do. I'm a busy person. I got to be somewhere. When we see someone on the street who's visibly in pain, we walk by them. I know that because I've seen it a thousand times. My wife and I don't walk by those people. Mm. We walk up to them and say, hey, pardon me, but you don't look too well. You look like you're really going through something. And they look at you, man, the reactions you get like, why do you care? 
because I'm human and I do. Yeah. And you look like you're really hurting. And if you need to talk, I'm going to sit here with you. You wouldn't be surprised at how many people take a seat and just let it out. I was on a, I was on a book tour and I had gotten my first real bad death threat. And it was from a group and I had to do a multiple city, 26 cities, meeting probably about 3,000 people a day um, and uh, scared out of my mind. Scared out of my mind. First time I wore a bulletproof vest and all of these things. And and I was on the road for a month and it it almost broke me. And um, uh, a friend of mine, a spiritual leader, gave me a blessing and gave me a blessing of of uh, discernment. It's the greatest thing I've ever been given. Uh, and, and, it, and it happens when I'm out in crowds. I can see it. Um, it, it. I could spend two seconds with someone and look them in the eye, but you have to look them in the eye. And you have to be really willing to see what is there. And you can see it. And I have so many times stopped a line or something and just said, excuse me, because somebody had walked off. No communication. Just, hi, how are you? What's your name? Signing the book. They turn around and walk away. And I'm overwhelmed with, they're in trouble. Yeah. And I've stopped the line several times. This last book tour I went out, I met three people who came up in line and said, you saved my life. How? I don't even remember what, what happened. They said, you stopped a book line and you came up and hugged me and said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but it's okay. Usually people will cry yeah. and, it's, and it's bizarre, but they're looking for someone, yeah. anyone. Yeah. And what's remarkable about your story, I think, is... Finish the story about the lady. Will you take my picture? Yeah. So, so this is where I, it's part of the miracle too, because had she not stopped me to take her picture five times, <laughs> she had to do her whole thing. For those five minutes, that sea lion, Herbert wouldn't have been in the place mm. it was, arguably, to save my life. So I look at it. I look at Go ahead. I used to look at it like... Why didn't you see my pain? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you stop? Why didn't you say something nice to mm-hmm. me? Why didn't you help me? But then I, I someone, someone said to me, Kevin, you, you missed it. She was trying to interact with you. It was a, probably a language barrier. She was trying to make a connection. You missed it. Mm. And I, I've, I've changed the narrative on that one a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I don't know. If, I don't know which is accurate, but or maybe it's both. I will tell you because uh, I look at your story. Can I tell the ending of your story Please, yeah. here? Um, God knows you. God knows not just your pain, but he knows who you are now, who you were, and who you're going to be. And he is the greatest. He's the greatest at making lemonade out of lemons. You can do anything. And he'd be like, yes, but look what you just made. You know what I mean? You have to embrace it, but you can take take anything, the worst that you can do and make it great. 
So you are saying, God, why do you hate me? Why, why is no one stopping? And you look at that part when they're on the bridge. And you and I, because we're humans, we're like, please, Lord, somebody stop me. He was there with the woman in the car, with the doctor that was getting onto an airplane, with the seal. He knew, he knew that there would be people that would be there when you needed it. But jumping off the bridge, I'm not saying you should ever, anyone should ever jump off a bridge, but when it's, when, when you have made such a colossal error, if you survive your stupidity and you allow him, he's already got it all in play. He has it all in play. Does that make sense to you? Of course it does. I have faith. Yeah. I've had it. I've had it my whole life. You know, and I think to address those who do not, it, we're not putting you down or, or, or pressing on you. Just let you know that you, that, that got your back too. Yeah. You know, it's all of our backs, all of our backs, all of our backs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you are loved and yeah. you are beautiful and you are perfect just as you are. And you are all 1000 times greater than the worst thing you've ever done. So when you were on the bus and that guy said, oh, uh, yeah. you know, what's wrong with that kid? Yeah. Have you gotten to a place to where you can see his pain? Because he's yeah. lying he was for some reason. He's, he, he was hurting. Think about that. Like, why, why, why see a kid crying like a baby? <laughs> what the hell's wrong with that kid? If you're, not, if you're not broken too. Yeah. You know, I get that. I totally get that. And I have, I have no ill will toward that. that yeah, man. yeah, yeah. You know, no, no, you know, you know he, uh, I understand that reaction. I've I've seen it a million times. The the book is uh, cracked, not broken. Yeah. And you talk about hearing voices that I don't think people can really relate to most people. And, um, and in the theaters, recently was a movie called broken and it is, did you see that movie? No, I haven't seen it. Um, it's about, uh, uh, about a guy who hears voices and others. Um, and he calls it the, I think the herd is it the herd. Does anybody remember? Um, he calls the people. He doesn't usually come to the surface, mm. the guy, yeah. um, but he has had horrible things happen to him in his life. And so he's got all these layers of protection around oh. and they all kind of work to protect him. And, and he's afraid and the herd is afraid of one and described very similar to the voice that you had that is just dark he hates me it's a, it's a it's a pure hate it's it's a you know it's interesting uh glenn the uh, uh after my skin healed uh cuz i've been hearing that and i'll be frank with you i've been hearing for uh the better part of 20 years 
from this voice. Kevin, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) It's inevitable. It's just a matter of time. I'm going to end you. And there is nothing you can do about it. And And I've been fighting that for a long time. And I believe I'll always win because I, I have, I have, because of my faith, but because of my family, but because of my friends, because of my support network, because of how hard I work for my brain health every day. Is that reason why you took the staples out yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I can do this. I got this. I got this on lockdown. Yeah. I'm not going to be my end. These hands will not end me. I'll die naturally holding my wife's hand in a hospital setting, like in the film, The Notebook, I never watched twice or mm-hmm. cried during. That's my, that's at, 112, at 112, naturally. Natural cause is, is how I will go. Right. But, but that voice, for the first time ever, I'm, I'm, I was having an emotional breakdown at a hotel, and it, I, had, I had such physical pain from, because it was, it was on and off physical pain, even though the burns were healed, it was on and off such physical pain that I worked out for like six hours straight. I exercised for six hours straight, which is ridiculous, but it's the only thing that made me think of something else besides the pain. And after that ridiculous workout, I came out and I was exhausted and I sat for breakfast because it was breakfast time already. And I looked over and Glenn, I could see me. And, and he looked at me for the first time in almost 20 years and he goes, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm never going to kill you. You've been through too much already. I'm done effing with you. It's over. I'm not going to end you. And he went away. And I just left, sat there. Just like feeling freer than I'd ever felt in my entire life. Feeling like just, 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 it was all off of me. And, uh, and he hasn't, that was, um, I don't know, only, only, a, I guess a couple of, th- two, three months ago. And he hasn't, that voice hasn't come back to say what he used to say. That means a lot to me. I bet it does. It's been a long time fighting that voice. So when I say it gets better, Glenn, but only with hard work, because my dad taught me nothing good ever came without it. I know you know about that. Let's talk to two people. Okay. First... Talk to directly to somebody who might be struggling right now. Just talk right to them one-on-one what they need to hear. Is there a camera I can look into to see them? Look into that one. Move your hat up so they can see your eyes. Yeah. You are beautiful. If nobody else says it today, we love you. Hope is real. It may not be an action plan, but it is real. It exists. There is light at the end of every tunnel and suicide can never be the answer to your problems. It is the problem. And I believe that if you fight the pain, you will defeat it. 
I believe in you. And I think that if you are in that place right now where you are desperately considering suicide, I want you to just take a breath. Just take a moment. And take a breath. Take, take, take 30 more. There's a technique called 4-8. Inhale four seconds through your nose. Exhale eight seconds through pursed lips like a whistle but no sound. You do that 30 times, you're going to bring your panic to a calm, an adrenaline rush to a, to a, to a, a, a quell, and you're going to be able to bring yourself to a norm, an even keel. If you take your life, look, we're all going to die. That is inevitable. None of us are going to be immortal. We're all going to die. Give yourself an opportunity for things to change in this life naturally. If you take your life now, you will never know the beauty that you will become. I would never have met the love of my life and my very best friend, Margaret Hines. I would never have had the dog named Max who looked just like my dad. They were twins. He was a Sharpay, all the wrinkles. I would never have become the godfather to two beautiful godchildren. And to be fair, I'm only the godfather to one of them, but I'm by proxy, I'm making myself the godfather to the other one. I would never have enriched their lives with love and beauty and made their lives better. I would never have been given the gift of a second chance. Please, I beg of you, I beg of you, don't learn the hard way like I did. Suicide isn't worth it, but life is. And you deserve this life until your natural end. I want you to think about something. Think about all the children who never make it past the womb. 30% of every first pregnancy ends in miscarriage. Margaret and I know that pain. Jack Ryan will never be in my arms, our arms. He wasn't meant to be here in physical form. But you all are. For the simple fact that you are looking into my brown eyes, I know you're supposed to be here. Be here tomorrow and every gosh darn day after that. No matter the pain, in spite of the pain, you can survive. And I love you. I wish every time I tell the story to somebody of the day I decided to live, instead of die, I wish I could say, and I got up the next morning, and it was better. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't. No. It's hard for a long time. It's hard for a long time. One more. People don't understand unless they've lived it. You know, an overdose. How could we have helped that alcoholic or how could we have helped that drug addict? Well, were you there? Did you ask, do you need help? Do you want to stop? If if you've done that and they say no, they have to find their bottom. 
Yeah. Did you don't enable them, don't help them just be there when they say, I, I, I need help, I need out. With depression, I know so many people who have depression and their parents or their spouse will say, oh, they're just always, I mean, they just get down. And I don't understand. Just, I tell them, just get over it. It's not that. You can't, no, it's, it's not that simple. So speak to that person who doesn't understand. Yeah, to, to, the, to the folks that look at you and they go, snap out of it, get over it, move on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's all in your head. You're, you're, it's in, yeah, it's in my head. <laughs> it's literally my brain, the single most powerful organ you wield, controlling every action and inaction you take, every decision and indecision, connected to every other part of the body. And if your brain is in malfunction with the rest of your system, there goes the rest of it. So to the people that look at the individual in brain pain and say, snap out of it, no, you snap out of it and recognize that your loved one is going through something very real that is detrimental and they don't just need um, a voice that says, hey, come on, it's been, you know, it's been three weeks since you've been depressed. Let's go. Let's get out of that right now. They need a hug. They need you to hold them for 23 seconds a day, which releases oxytocin in the brain, which makes people feel better. They, they need you to do more. They need you to be better do better. They need you to research mental brain, mind, behavioral, spiritual health, and, and they need you to understand depression so you can help them defeat depression. Do you believe that there is a mind-spirit connection? That there is a, that there, there are physical things that, that, that medicine can only address? And then there is also a component, and they don't always come together, but usually they will come together, of the spiritual wounds that you had as a child. So that those spiritual wounds, the, the making fun of, the telling yourself something all the time, that's not necessarily a chemical thing, but you have created it or it has been created for you, and it works hand in hand. Do you believe in those I, I believe they can, pieces I, I, of be, it? I believe they can intersect and they yeah. can uh, affect one another, absolutely. Because I, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm also a very religious person. So I believe, I believe that, you know, we, we, I, I have my faith. I have my family. I have my friends. Those are my three Fs. Those would keep me out of trouble, right? My three Fs, faith, family, and friends. Uh, but the spiritual side of things allows me to, uh, to tap into something that is stronger than myself that can help me defeat the pain. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how I see it. All right. So you weren't sent a Navy SEAL. You were sent <laughs> a, a, seal, a, a SEAL lion. SEAL or a sea lion. lion. Sea lion, yeah. Um, little guys. Uh, bigger than you think, but. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. Oh, to give me a chance to survive physically so that I could try, just try to affect the lives of as many human beings as possible for the rest of my natural life. I did an interview three years ago with a guy who was on a bridge in London. I think it was the London Bridge, and he was going to kill himself, throw himself off. He was lucky enough to have a stranger just walk up. All these people, he was crying just like you. 
all these people walked by him. And one person didn't and said, hey, bud, what's happening? I met him. I flew them both in from London. I met that one. And I said, what made you do it? And he said, I don't know. He said, I'm not, I'm not that guy. He said, I just knew he was in trouble. And so he saved him. The guy who was saved went and um, had the same kind of issues that you have. Heard voices since he was little. And, and no one said, but he said that the guy on the bridge said, it can get better. Was it Neil and Daniel? Neil Laybourne and Daniel? I don't think so. I don't, re- I don't think so. Um, may, may have there was been. a movie called Find Mike. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, they're they're good friends of my wife and I. I love them. Yes. So we brought them. We brought them here, and he he. I don't think he had put in to place yet. He knew he was supposed to talk to other people, yeah. and he was supposed to help. Yeah. But we flew another person in. And it was somebody whose life he had saved from hearing him speak about his issue. Just to talk about it. Just to, to, that he was going to kill himself. He saw him online and that online talking about the other guy, what he said. Yes. That's the key. We can all, we can all do this. That's the the point. Right. And it's, it's crazy that we all... We get inside of ourselves. Yeah. We're having something happen to us. You didn't say anything for no. the longest time. No. You're afraid. It's just me. You're afraid to approach somebody on the bridge. You, you're on the bus and you kind of joke it off or play macho because you're uncomfortable with what's happening. Nobody is willing to break out of that bubble. And the ones who break out are going to be the ones who, break, who change the world. Or, or, or at the very least change one life. Yes. For the rest of their life. But that could change the world. Yes, yes. Well, think about it like this, right? So a suicide doesn't doesn't just stop at that generation. Mm. It affects every, every, so so if I'm an uncle, which -hmm. which I am, Mm -hmm. if I'm an uncle uh, and I die by my hands and my nephews uh, grieve me and then they become different people, Mm -hmm. they take different paths, Mm -hmm. they take different careers because of what I did. And then their kids take different paths because mm-hmm. initially of what I did. Mm-hmm. And this just goes on forever. Mm-hmm. The, and it also, um, I've had two suicides in my family. Okay. And so it, it also with me, with my mother, well, that's just, I guess that's who we are. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's who we are. I guess that's what you do. I guess I'm, oh. I'm destined for this. Mm. And so it plays, it just plays into that and it changes your tape. Yep. You, 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 you it, it then becomes that option. Mom did it. Right. Grandpa did it. You know, it becomes an option. And so we have to, I, I, I'm a firm believer that we have to teach our kids from fourth grade what mental mind, brain and behavioral health are when they can comprehend the words. Just so they know that by the time they hit 16 and there's a potentiality for it to be diagnosed, that they know what to do, who to talk to, and that we got their back. That that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that personal support network is there and that you're not going to be alone in this fight and that we are going to support you empathetically with an entire lack of judgment. 
I am one of the worst people. I've riddled with ADD, and I'm one of the worst people to sit. My, my, my wife is the exact opposite of me, thank God. She is quiet and gentle and peaceful and solid. Um, and so when we're having an argument, it, it is, well, let me think. God, it drives me out of my mind because it takes forever. It takes forever. But it is so important in this particular uh, problem that you do just sit and shut up because the per- person who is struggling is what you wanted to tell your dad. If he would have said, I love you too, bud. Here, sit down. Lay down in bed with me. Would you have had the same day? I can't answer that question. I have no idea. You know, it's, uh, I look at it like it, it's no fault of his own. He had, I'm not saying that. No, I know you, I know you yeah. weren't. I know you weren't. I know that, Glenn. But I look at that and I think, you know, had, had he said... Had he said, what are you thinking right now? Mm -hmm. I think it would have been a different day. What was the first thing he said as he had a secretary drive his car? Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't. um, Yeah. So he got the phone call at the from the hospital. And the the, they they were so callous. They were just like, Mr. Hines. Yes. Your son has jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He took a breath, sat down, and he goes, is my son alive? Thinking as a, a fourth-generation San Franciscan that he knew the answer that mm-hmm. I was gone. Um, and she says yes. And his immediate reaction as a pessimist was, no, he's not. You're just saying that to get me to ID the body at the morgue safely. And he calls his secretary, Rachel, and, and, and says, uh, Rachel, uh, my son has just jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I... I, I I need you to ride in the passenger seat of the car because if you don't, I will drive off of a cliff. And he didn't mean die by suicide. He just meant that if he didn't have someone sitting there to protect, he wouldn't be able to see straight to get to the hospital. And he was the first person there because he speeds. (laughs) And he gets there and he walks in to my room. I'll never forget, I looked up at my dad and... He looks down at me, and this is a man who in 19 years I had never seen a tear run down his eyes. Not one. In pain and death in the family, nothing. And he looks down at me, and waterfalls just flow from his eyes. And he comes over, and he puts his hand on my forehead, and he says, Kevin, you are going to be okay, I promise. And I never held words closer to my chest ever before. I just, I just held him. Like, okay, dad says I'm going to be okay. I got this. I can do this. Just, just, just the getting out of the bracing structure, you know, the, the surgery, the, uh, the being in the hospital, the going to the psych ward afterwards, the walking with the back brace and a cane for however long, you know, I, I, I got this. I can do this. I can survive this pain. And, and, you know, Glenn, I think I learned another thing, um, after all this, after the the miracles and the and the, and the getting to be here and, and the fighting 
all of the different kinds of pain in my life uh, continuing till today, just like you do. I think I learned, at least this is how I feel. I'm not trying to push this on anybody, but I, I believe after my skin disease issues that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We either, we choose to suffer or we choose to thrive. Damn it. I'm going to thrive every day. I'm going to fight for what's right for good causes. I'm going to be good, kind and compassionate, loving and caring, empathetic and non-judgmental to every person I come into contact with that I possibly can. I'm going to get irritated with some people. That's, 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 you know, you, you can't get around that, you know, especially in airports. <laughs> no, but, but, but you got to try to give back to every person you can every time you can, because you never know what they're going through and behaviors are learned. Nobody is born hating somebody else. They're taught to hate. I choose to love everybody every time and to have empathy for all, not just some. Because I think that it's too easy for us to be angry at different kinds of people. I think we need to be kind to everybody, no matter what their views are, their their socioeconomic background, their political affiliations or none, their religious affiliation or none. I think we have to be kind to people at a base level um, because we don't truly know where they came from and who taught them what they taught them. So let's just wrap each other around in some love and recognize that maybe hope isn't the answer, but it's a darn good start. I don't think I've ever ended a podcast with this, but I love you, Kevin. I love you too, Glenn Beck. (laughs) So great. I love you too. God bless you. You too, buddy. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 